It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. holiday weekend go hope it was uh, safe and sound and everything good and back in place the way it needs to be for you I don't know I, I, I think a lot of us probably feel like things are at their most in place when we're chilling out and not having to be at the office or at the job site or you know, as my old television producer used to say, putting a nut on a bowl or flipping a burger or whatever it might be. We do wish you a good morning and welcome me back to the regulation of the work week. Welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, where we're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. And. Jeff Howe, my co-host, will be along shortly. Our producer, as always, Cameron Parker, who is here. How'd your weekend go, Cam? Not too bad, Craig. Got out on the lake yesterday, a little sunburn, a little sun. So it was a, it was a nice, chill, relaxed weekend. Yeah. Well, um, where do you go when you go on the lake? Well, right now it's only Lake Austin because Lake Travis, the ramps are closed down. Yeah. So it's just, it's just Lake Austin under 360 Bridge at the moment. Okay. So hanging out down there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, so do you go uh, with friends on powerboat? Do you go? Do you go pontoon? Do you go? Yeah, how do how do you, how do you? We have a couple couple ski boats in the uh, in the friend group. So we didn't we didn't do any water skiing yesterday. Just kind of more of a relaxed vibe because it it was it wasn't as bad as it was Sunday, but it it was still it was still pretty crowded yesterday. Was it um it, it, since you grew up North Carolina like I did and I grew up on uh on a lake. I got to where I could water ski a little bit. Uh I've never been snow skiing in my life. It just never worked out that yeah, way. Yeah, me neither. And now at my age I don't I don't dare take that up. That would be that would be a problem. <laughs> but I mean, were you? I mean, you learned to water ski as a kid growing up in North Carolina, right? I mean, you uh, lived not far from Lake Norman and some of those other big bodies of water there in the Greater Mecklenburg Charlotte area, right? Yeah, but I've never mastered it. I've done it a few mm-hmm. times, but if you, well, I didn't if say you I mastered right it. Now, yeah, <laughs> I, I've attempted. I've attempted to water ski. I would not say I'm good at it. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things to get to on the program, including. From our resident Taylor Duck fan who says, them Taylor Ducks, give them respect. We give them respect every day. You keep saying that. And we mention them every day when they do that uh, during our Flex 30 update. We're going to do it. Throttle back just a little bit with the capital letters. We're okay. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll do that. We're excited about about the green and white of the Ducks as uh, they move on to the state quarterfinals. Um, we, we talked about them uh, going into the weekend and now – 
coming out of the weekend. And we'll get that uh, when, when we do our Flex 30 update when we get into the second hour of the program. Uh, obviously, there's a great many things to get to. Um, uh, Longhorn Baseball uh, with uh, the NCAA Tournament Selection Show announcement. Did, did, did you get a chance to watch it? Yesterday, I did not watch it, but uh, I was following along with with your text messages and the uh, emails coming in as well. Okay, all right. And uh, the tweet that I sent out right after the uh, right after uh, the Coral Gables Regional South Beach. Yeah, I I don't know that I'll actually get to see South Beach. I've, I've seen South Beach. I've been to South Beach before, but I don't think I'll be there on this one. This is. You know, as, as they like to say, it's a business trip. Yeah. You know, um, there will be at some point tomorrow. Uh, the team will leave, and I'll I'll uh, be on the charter flight with them. I, I don't I don't know because they don't know yet what time they're leaving because it's all travel in NCA is left uh, for NCA regional play, NCA tournament play. Same thing with basketball is left in the hands of the NCAA. They designate a lot of things with regard to charter flights and going to certain places and things like that. So, with that in mind, they're making all their plans to leave tomorrow um and uh, so they're they're making all their plans to to leave tomorrow but they don't know what time but when they get down there uh it'll be whatever tomorrow afternoon or so or whatever uh get down there in south florida they'll have a uh, press conference and practice or media availability and practice uh there at mark light stadium there at the alex rodriguez complex there in coral gables on Thursday, and then they'll be playing Friday afternoon at 1 o'clock Texas time against the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. If you heard Bucky and Aaron this morning, um, our good friend Ty Harrington, who works with us on uh, has worked with us this season on some Longhorn Baseball broadcast, worked that entire Sunbelt Conference tournament, I think all 17 games of it, and um, did all that, and and. He uh, he got a chance to see every one of those games that Louisiana played, and I had one conversation with him uh, about them. I watched several of those games as well. You know, unfortunately, with the two and out showing in Arlington, I was back home, and so I watched a lot of college baseball uh, over the weekend. Linda could tell you that <laughs> she she watched a lot of it with me too. But but uh, she'll say, "Wow, there's lots of baseball going on," uh, and and there was, and I was kind of keeping track because I was looking to see. You know where you know uh, prospective opponents the Longhorns might wind up facing, and I didn't really think about it much with Louisiana, but I ended up watching a lot of the Sun Belt tournament because of seeing the teams in there, and of course wanting to uh, catch Ty's work uh, there as well. So you know, I, I ended up seeing quite a bit of the Cajuns there. So it's a uh, it's a it's a pretty good team. It's a really good team that the uh, Longhorns are going to face. Uh, that's really getting hot at the right time. But anyway, we'll we'll get into some uh, some of that breakdown when the tournament selection announcement came down uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, of course, I was watching it in the clubhouse with uh, with the Longhorn baseball team and, and the coaching staff and the other media who were there in there as well uh, that were shooting the, that were shooting all of that, and they were you know invited to set up. Uh, the cameras and shoot the react and all that kind of stuff. Um, the university always does a really good job of doing that, welcoming them in there to to be able to shoot the reaction stuff. So all the local TVs were in there doing that yesterday. And uh, then when it was done, uh, they had a media availability where there were uh, players 
and and Coach Pierce, and uh, we'll we'll hear from Eric Kennedy coming up in the second hour uh, of the program. But uh, as I uh, annually and customarily have done now for over twenty years, I mean it goes back to my first year of of doing the lead play by play on Longhorn baseball, two thousand two. Uh, the first national championship they got under Augie Garrido. When the tournament selection announcement comes out uh, on Memorial Day, as it does every year and like it did uh, yesterday, uh, after all of the announcement is done and the field is revealed and all that sort of stuff, I uh, I go in and I sit down with the head coach and and, and have a conversation. Uh, we have uh, uh, a one-on-one, and uh, did that with Augie all those years, and and uh, and have these past several years with David Pierce, and we'll hear that conversation coming up. So uh, about his team and about uh, the tournament field and and getting ready for the postseason. So that's coming up in a little bit. Um, so that was that was uh, a part of what was yesterday, and then I went back to the house, and um, I heard Bucky and Aaron talking about this about grilling hot dogs. That's what I did yesterday. I grilled hot dogs. I did that because I, I like either doing hamburgers or hot dogs on Memorial Day or the you know holidays, the Fourth of well, July. We're the stuff Wiener like Kings. So uh, yeah, that, that's exactly right. That of course, uh, that 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 memorable comment coming there from my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. You know him best, however, for his outstanding work at Horns Twenty Four Seven. That's. Jeff, how, how, how did your uh, Memorial Day weekend go? For those of you wondering, what does Jeff bring to this show other than just toilet humor? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out, so I don't well, know. Well, that's, that's a valuable commodity. Toilet humor is a valuable commodity. You know? Hey, fart jokes yeah. and jokes about number two. And animals. I'm almost 40 years old. Well, mm-hmm. They will always be funny. I get that. As I taught my five-year-old, now five-year-old at a very young age, <laughs> toots are funny. <laughs> So, just getting him, getting her ingrained in it. Uh, now I went to my brother. My brother handled the cooking yesterday. He he likes to do. He's that. the he's, grill master, isn't he? He's the grill master. And he's one of those grill masters that like nobody else touched the meat. Nobody get over here, or I'll stab you with a knife or something, or you know, one of stay away from knife, the grill. Knife sharpeners. Yeah, he's he's all on. Said some brisket and some ribs and a little corn on the cob. It's, excellent. It's, it's good. It's good. Uh, excellent. And uh, Cam spent yesterday on the lake. He was he was hanging out on the. Getting in the uh, water sports and the water activities on the lake yesterday. So anybody still rolling on Lake Georgetown? Lake Georgetown is still a popular spot. Oh yeah, Cedar that's, Breaks uh, Park. That's where I used to. Uh, mm-hmm. Russell Park is where I used to go when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Yep, it's it, not not too far from the domicile in Andes. Yes, so it uh, it it's still happening out there as well. So it's one uh, of those deals where they charge you like per head the car. So like oh, yeah. you and some of your friends go to the lake and it's like all right, you guys lay on the floorboard and throw a blanket on top of you. Yeah, there's a three of us in there when really. Somehow you managed to fit seven or eight in the car. Yes. Yeah. It's like the old drive-in movie thing Pretty when much. I was a teenager. <laughs> would actually load a few of us in the trunk, get in the trunk of the car, and go in. So there was Show of hands if you've ever ridden in the trunk to get somewhere yeah. back in your partying days. Yeah, oh, yeah, all three of us. Yeah, okay, yeah, nice. yeah. yeah, it happened. It's, it's, it's happened there for sure. Um, somebody said, uh, uh, it said, I am distraught over the Ted Lasso. Distraught. Uh, ending oh ending tonight. Uh, I have I'm ju- I'm playing catch up, so no spoiler alerts, nothing like that. I'm only three episodes into this last season, and uh, Linda and I've been playing catch up on all of that. Do, so do you know why I don't talk about TV shows? Why is that? I was doing a fill in show here. Really, uh, this is years ago. 
that I started talking about, or maybe it was on the Longhorn Blitz podcast. I don't remember. <laughs> but you remember the 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 episode of the it was before the Walking Dead, or it's right around the time it jumped the shark. I haven't watched that show in years. I don't even know if it's still on anymore. Cam, you know if the Walking Dead still on? I think the it original? just ended. There okay. are those of us who would think that it jumped the shark from its first episode, but go on. It's just suspend disbelief a little bit. Yeah. But the episode where everybody thought Glenn died, okay. remember when he got like pushed off the, the car or whatever and he fell into the I'll pile of zombies? I'll take your word for that. All right. Okay. Cam, you know what I'm talking about, right? You remember that? Yeah, vaguely. Okay. So about a week after that, I think I was on, I was doing a fill-in show, and I said something about, oh, yeah, well, because it was a cliffhanger, right? So we thought everybody thought Literally, Glenn was huh? dead. Yeah. And so, like, oh, almost like at the end of the week, I was like, yeah, man, I, I can't wait to see if Glenn's dead. I want to know how they come. And, and like, somebody, like, and, and keep in mind, the show aired Sunday. This is, like, a Thursday or Friday. Wait, wait to spoil it, a-hole. I'm like, dude, if you haven't <laughs> watched a show Four or five days after the fact, that's a you problem. But you know what? Just to save myself the headache, I'm not going to talk about TV shows Well, anymore. especially now that we're into the streaming age. Because, you know, folks can let it go two, three weeks, whatever, then come back and binge it and get caught up. So that's why that, that I think, is important to respect that side What I did it. with uh, Sons of Anarchy. Love there you that go. show. So you try to... I, yeah. I think I've asked you this, Cam. Are you, Cam, are you in on Sons of Anarchy? I have no? not. I, I enjoyed it. And Either of you guys Succession fans? Because the series just ended on Sunday. You know, is that a Showtime deal? HBO. HBO. Let me tell you who is. I, and I'm Shows not, how much I watched you, it. Let, let me tell you who is into it. Uh, first of all, my son, my oldest son, is into it. And Roger Wallace. Okay. Because Roger asked me yesterday, and I was like, nah, I, said, I was getting caught up on Ted Lasso. Still got some more to do on that. And then we, and Linda and I, we like uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is in its final season and we haven't even started that and and i think it's done actually the the final season is is in the books but obviously we'll stream it and watch it and roger said yeah i got to get home because of all the social media stuff about <laughs> what's happened so so he was he was trying to get caught up on that next time i see roger we'll have to have a discussion oh yeah it. yeah you guys will you guys will hit it off you should go bowling together when you do that you know something <laughs> like that so here's somebody on the specs tax line at three Three seven three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. We always welcome your texts, even if they are in all caps. <laughs> and somebody said we put my buddy in the trunk one time when we were in NOLA in New Orleans for a Mardi Gras. He rode in the trunk from the hotel in Kenner until we parked in downtown NOLA. Wow, that could be a good half hour. Or yeah, something. yeah. So um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so that somebody in talking about your uh, your toilet humor said valuable commodity. If you will. somebody else said that commodity, somebody else said, said Gerald. Somebody. Oh, I meant to. Uh, I meant to tell you. Um, uh, I meant to tell you about this, uh, and I forgot yesterday because Jeff was at the media availability as I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. After that, and watching the 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 selection show in the clubhouse uh, with the players and things like that. Uh, before it started, I couldn't help but think of you, really and only you. Uh, two of the players, I don't even remember which ones. One of them might have been Kobe Minchie. I can't remember, though. There were two of the players walking in, and one of them said they were they were all guessing on where, what region they were going to mm-hmm. go to. And... Uh, 
and I had already learned the prior night from some others who were not connected with UT in any way, shape, or form from some yeah. other sources outside what the probable destination was. Uh, so I kind of had a good idea, but I wasn't saying anything about it, and I didn't want to spoil it or anything for anybody. And uh, and I heard somebody said, oh, I think it'll be Palo Alto. I think it is. And two guys walk in, one, one of them said, we're going to the Gerald Regional. It'll be the Gerald Regional. So they're, yeah, we're going to the Gerald Regional there. Gosh. How about How that? unfortunate would that be? <laughs> so I thought about you, clearly, about that with regard to the uh, Gerald Regional. It's hard uh, to play nine innings with the smell of doo-doo water just hitting your nose the whole time. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. I, w- I, wanna, I want to clear the deck on a couple of things here um, pretty quickly uh, before we get now. Now, I, we have the conversation with Coach Pierce. Um and uh, Jeffrey, do you, do you want to hit the football coaching hires during this notebook or the net? How do how do you want to? Let's you go wanna... ahead and do it this one. We'll, we'll yeah, let's go ahead and do this one because okay. our second hour notebook is typically shorter. So okay, all right. So and in second hour we can bring folks to Eric Kennedy Sound. Okay. Uh, so coming up here in just a couple of minutes, then we're gonna we're gonna bring you the uh, David Pierce conversation. Then we'll break. Two thumbs up for that. All right. Then we'll break, and then we'll have uh, the Longhorn Notebook with Jack. But, but uh, I do want to. Uh, I want to hit on a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, your friend, who you've uh, our friend, who you've had a chance to meet, Belton Gringo, said, "I know it's unlikely, but who would host the Super Regional Texas and Texas A&M win the regionals when they play each other?" It's a question that's already come up. Obviously, because they are in adjoining regionals, uh, A&M going to Palo Alto and Texas going to Miami. Everybody the, jot this down, record, Craig, do whatever you got to do, take a picture. Well, they, I won't be able to help them too much, but I can help them just a little bit, a little bit. More than they've been helped right now. Um, for those who feel, and I understand this completely, and who say, and I understand this completely, that it's that it's automatic that Texas would go to College Station because A&M is playing a higher-seeded team, the 8C, whereas Texas played nine. That is not the lone determining factor, especially between uh, uh, two programs who are that close together in in, in their regional uh, pairings. In other words, one facing a 9 and one facing an 8. This is how I've had it explained to me, that there are a number of factors that the NCAA considers a number, uh, not limited to, but including uh, head-to-head meeting. They've had one of those. Obviously, Texas won that. Uh, also, uh, bid, depending on if, 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 if things were equal on the bid process, and they probably are, but, but that's part of it as well. Uh, some of it also has to do with a balance of the bracket, the way it's been described. Uh, from the NCA, so there's several different factors. There's no one. It's not a slam dunk. It's not an automatic given that it's either one way or the other. And and for folks who say, well, Texas is not going to be outbid or whatever. Trust me. First of all, A and M would not be, <laughs> allow itself to be outbid by Texas anyway to begin with. One, two, that won't probably if they both bid the max amount that you're allowed by the NCAA. That doesn't matter anyway. So that's, that's funny that somebody would think A and M wouldn't want to put up the money to, out, right, especially with right. a chance to outbid Texas. Right, right. Yeah. So that's not that's not. Uh, I I wouldn't expect any of that 
to be uh, a factor as well. But there are several other determinants that go into it. So uh, it, it, it is not an automatic given that it would be one way or the other. Uh, but uh, if that were to happen. Now, now, having said all that, let me tell you, both teams have difficult roads to travel. Uh, um, you know, starting for the with the first opponent for the long run against Louisiana and even uh, getting beyond that and staying in the winner's bracket, Miami is really good. Do fans of either school realize that pretty much every time they do this, it doesn't end up it, happening? And some winds up not and happening. Typically, like men's basketball is really where we've seen The it, most right? recent example. Yeah, well, because in, in the 16 tournament, they were the 3-6 and... I forgot what regional, but they were playing in Oklahoma City. Remember, that was when Paul Jesperson hit the shot. Well, this year. Northern this Island. year in Des Moines. Yeah, and then this year. Everyone's like, oh, oh yeah. Texas is going to play A&M. And I, I, we said on the show, we're like, hey, uh, Penn State's not bad. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah was... So, so it, it, yeah, it don't count it in yet. Uh, I know what happened in women's golf uh, in the NCAA. Volleyball, uh, in, it's yeah, happened. It's happened in volleyball. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's not a given, obviously. So, we'll see. Um that's a tough place to go, Palo Alto, and a really good Stanford team for them to have to deal with. So how about the Palo Alto Regional having three opponents, all of whom Texas faced this year in non-conference? Cal State Fullerton, San Jose State, uh, there, and Texas A&M. And yeah. that, that was interesting. Now, Craig, correct me if I'm wrong. So I remember in 17 when Texas went to the Long Beach Regional. Uh-huh. And it was coming down. Uh, I forgot where Fullerton. Maybe Fullerton was in Palo Alto. Maybe and beat they Stanford. Were. They were okay. And it was coming down to Texas had the two won their first two games. It's like okay, if if Texas and Fullerton ended up winning, who's hosting? And I think it was going to be Texas because then the the main reason was Texas had the bigger ballpark and could do bigger ticket guarantees. And, and all that Fullerton stuff. was a three seed. Oh, was that was Fullerton a three? Yeah. Okay. So Texas was going to host. I'm pretty sure they were three. Even if they weren't, you are correct mm-hmm. on all I, I, other elements. That's all I remember, yeah. Uh, you, are, you are correct on all other elements. Uh, they were going to host. <laughs> but they lost two one-run games to Long Beach. And as a result, Long Beach wound up hosting that regional against Fullerton, and Fullerton beat them to get to Omaha. So, yeah, that's that's what happened in 17. Yeah. So, anyway, there's, there's several different factors that go into that. Uh to CB's question um, uh, about how did Keith Moreland and I go to the bathroom? It, it, it did happen uh, 14 years ago today, 14 years ago today, uh, when CB uh, asked the question, how did you go to the bathroom 14 years ago during the, uh, today during that marathon 25-inning game? Gatorade uh, bottles? No. Trash cans? No. We were quite fortunate in that that 14-inning game, I mean, a 25-inning game, uh, 14 years ago today, 25-inning game, happened at UFC Udishvall Field, where the bathroom is just across the hall from our broadcast. Craig's not lying, like literally. Literally across the across hall. Across the hall. I mean, lined up directly across the hall. So... You know, uh, if one of us had to go, went during the break, between inning break, and came back. So uh, there's so many things that I, I, I remember about that night, uh, that it was, I believe, seven hours and six minutes, that it started at 6.01 p.m. and ended at 1.07 a.m. Uh, it was a hot uh, late May evening uh, that uh, was, it was, I know if folks remember, 
Uh, Austin Wood's remarkable effort of 169 pitches thrown and uh, all of those things. I, I know they'll remember that. And Travis Tucker winding up with uh, the, what proved to be the game-winning hit in the top of the 25th. Remember, Texas was the visiting team that night. Former Ellison Eagle, Travis Tucker. That's right. And Shout uh, out Mike Harge. Yeah. And happened in the top of the 25th. Um, uh, what I, I think I've mentioned this on the air. Keith and I were actually doing, in a manner of speaking, a networked broadcast. It was on the station here in town. But we were splitting our feed because Boston College did not have radio for baseball back then. I'm sure they do now. They did not. And uh, uh, it was set up through BC that asked us to do it, and we would give them a feed of of the game so that when we would get to the end of the inning, we'd say at the end of the uh, – at the end of the at the end of the fourteenth, it's still Texas two BC two. Longhorn baseball continues in a moment, and I pause and then say, and on bceagles.com. So we did it that way for twenty five innings. Uh, so it was it was that, and then my favorite memory of of this, and I've I've told this story before, but my favorite memory is a uh, story told to me by our late, outstanding, great. Uh, football radio network broadcast producer Bill Harwell, who was at the game, it was a long time baseball season ticket holder, was at the game that night. Bless you, Jeff, and uh, was there uh, with that one hurt. Yeah, was there with his uh, with his wife, I think, and was there with an um, uh, fr- a friend of theirs, a gentleman who had his son with him, who was eight or nine years old. When the game ended, the ninth inning tied at two. The dad said, I got to get my son home. He's tired and all that. And he said, Well, I will see you next week or whatever. He takes the kid home, puts the kid to bed. Well, at that time, it's about 9 40 at night or something like that. And he decided, Yeah, it's still relatively early. He lived in Pflugerville. So he goes out to see a movie and sees a full length motion picture that started like at 10 30. Gets out of there. Uh, like at twelve awesome. at twelve fifteen a.m., gets in his car, turns on the radio, and the game's going to the top of the twenty first. He goes, "The heck with this!" And he speeds back to the ballpark and catches the final four innings off of that. So he sees nine innings, takes his kid home, goes and catches a full length feature film, then comes back to the ballpark for the final four innings. We had a fourteenth inning stretch. We had a twenty first inning stretch in that game. They were doing for fans. So. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was, but that and that was 14 years ago. 25 innings to this day, still the longest postseason game in collegiate baseball history. Um, Texas and Boston College. It was it was it was great. It was it was uh, a memorable night. No no doubt about it. All right. Now speaking of baseball, uh, uh, after the selection show yesterday, like we said, there was media availability and uh, had the opportunity to sit down. Uh, with Longhorns head coach David Pierce and talk about the run-up to this, including what happened in Arlington, uh, health of the team, and getting ready for this regional. Well, every year it's kind of almost like uh, opening up the Christmas gifts when you get with the guys and, and watching the show, and I can see the excitement on their faces. I mean, you still get excited to see the name come up on the board, don't you? Oh, definitely. I mean, the body of work and the time that these kids put in to get into this uh, national tournament is pretty special and you don't ever want to take that for granted you know and we have expectations within our clubhouse and that's all I want our players to do is understand that continue to play with each other and they position themselves 
an opportunity to still be in the hunt for a national championship. And a lot of things that we've done along the way is about that. Um, you know, you're always looking back to see, you know, what could have or should have or what we could have done better or different. But at the end of the day, we're competing for our national championship starting this weekend. I know you didn't plan it this way. You didn't want it this way. But because of the early exit from Arlington, did it help physically in terms of getting some guys some rest and uh, guys who were banged up and things like that? No doubt. Uh, you know, you look at it at the time that it's happening and you're frustrated. And I always have a 24-hour rule before I really speak to the team. I want to gather information. I want to make sure that when we when we discuss what had just happened, we have valid information. And uh, looking back, we were beat up in the West Virginia series, and we just were piecing some guys together. And so the rest has been important for especially JT and, and Peyton, you know, everyday players that just needed a break um, just with some injuries. I wouldn't call them minor, but at the same time, they're, they're injuries that they can overcome, and the rest has been just critical. Um, probably got a couple of arms that are down, but at the same time, opportunity for some other guys. Helps also uh, for Lucas and for LBJ to get that extra bit of rest, and they coming out of that getting a couple extra days of rest before you head to Miami. That was a big part of starting them early in the tournament as well, because I've done it both ways, where you maybe start a number four or an opener on Wednesday uh, and kind of keep them on schedule. But they've been very durable every single week, especially Lucas, and so I think the rest is going to help uh, the entire staff, the entire team. This regional, the first thing that I was stunned to hear about is that you have never been to the city of Miami, Florida. I have never been that far south. My brother-in-law was in two Super Bowls down there, and it was the two that I did not go to. Uh, so my wife has been there for that. But, no, I haven't. I've been a lot of places in this country and internationally, but I've never been to the city of Miami. And uh, in the case of the specifics of this region, you start off with an opponent, at least, and a coach uh, that you know pretty well in, in Matt Deggs in Louisiana. Yeah, when I left Sam Houston State, Matt took over the job. Had Sam did a really good job there. Uh, ended up playing a super regional against Tech. Uh, so he has post-game experience, uh, excuse me, post-season experience. And, and, you know, he's a good coach, and he has a, a kind of a plan, a philosophy, and so... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a tough opener with a a really good number three seed. So, you know, there's no easy easy games once you get to postseason. It's uh, preparing your team and and hopefully they go out and just relax and compete. The with regard to uh, Miami, uh, here it is for the University of Texas, 62nd. Uh, postseason NCA appearance that's number one all time, but Miami's another one of those tra traditional programs that has won national titles and, and played a lot of postseason. Yeah, you look back in the seventies, eighties, uh, early nineties, and there's probably fifteen teams every year that were going to be, you know, in contention for a national championship. And you look at those fifteen, and eight of the eight of that group were going to be in Omaha. And Miami was always in that circle. Uh, they've continued to have a very good program. Uh, Gino's done a nice job of picking up uh, some of the pieces a few years ago and regrouping. And they've got a ton of tradition, same as us. So uh, it'll be a historical-type setting, 
uh, facing a team that's been there and done that before. And and by the way, for folks who didn't even know about Maine having baseball, they were a regular in the earlier days when they had Billy Swift and in the old uh, regional uh, format that they used to have. They they sure were. I mean, there was a there was a day that the Black Bears were in the hunt every <laughs> every single year. Uh, with regard to the preparation, obviously, uh, that usually you fly down a couple of days out, so maybe on Wednesday and all that. Uh, what about the preparation and the run-up time to that? What, what you look for your guys here over these next couple of days? Well, just first of all, just get our work in and uh, start planning how we want to set up our pitching. Probably the most critical thing. And, you know, you have an opportunity right now to look at some matchups and what is best, if it's right, left, or you know, the type of team, uh, run team versus a non-run team. And so we'll take a look at that, and we should have that established before the end of the end of the day, before we even start practice, hopefully, uh, just to gather that information so our pitchers can start planning. And then uh, for the rest of the team, just understanding who we are, go put our work in. Uh, we'll work out today and tomorrow here and hopefully get on a plane on Wednesday. Final thing here, you, uh, in addressing the team after the selection show, talked about uh, the things that they've earned and merited and all the obstacles come over. Is it now also a mindset with postseason? You want them to play loose and relax and enjoy the moment while at the same time the preparation goes into being ready for trying to win the games themselves? Well, the goal is to put it in your work and always play in, in that state of mind and free and easy and sometimes they put pressure on themselves we have a lot of guys that have never been in the postseason but we have many that have been in the postseason but i think the key for our guys is just to really get their work in and not make it bigger than than it is uh our goal is always you know we put together you know a plan to go all right we want to be in contention for five championships this is championship number three uh, number four is a super. Number five is competing for a national championship. And just being in that position is critical for them to to understand that opportunity is still in front of them. And it might not be the conventional way that we would want to be a top eight or to just be a regional host. But at the same time, you don't have to host to go to Omaha. And so that would be the message. And I really do. I want them to enjoy this week uh, as we're preparing and then go out there and play freely. Don't worry about the failure. Don't worry about the outcome. Enjoy the competition and playing for each other. That's the uh, thoughts of David Pierce, our uh, conversation uh, from yesterday after the bids were announced. It was also interesting, too, Jeff, that um, right before we did that, right before we sat down, uh, and this was after a selection show. Uh, coach Pierce, uh, also Woody Williams, pitching coach, and um, uh, and uh, Steve Rodriguez, assistant coach, and also, um, uh, in addition uh, to that, a couple other members uh, of the staff, uh, Chris Gordon, also uh, Philip Miller. They were all they were all kind of gathered together, and he kind of gathered there and. And uh, and David was basically saying, all right, let's uh, let's get this sort of stuff, the breakdown with regard to video and the splits and the numbers on each of the teams. And they were talking about, you know, uh, how each was going to, you know, do all that and compiling the information to then uh, disseminate that into the players and mm-hmm. what the and what the approach would be. 
before, you know, and then they, of course, they would get on the field and have practice yesterday and they get practice to, again today. And like he said, that the plan is to leave tomorrow, you know, once they hear all of the words uh, from the NCA on travel and things like that. But it, but it was already all that stuff is percolating. I've always found that fascinating, both with the basketball tournament and with the baseball tournament, because you're at that point in a race against time yeah. to, to compile as much as you can, as quickly as you can. A little bit easier today than it used to be because you have much more access to more recent video and things like that. And, Very little sleep for yeah. coaches this time of year. Yeah, and I and I guarantee you that uh, David is probably has probably already visited with Ty Harrington because Ty saw all six uh, of Louisiana's games in the uh, in in the uh, Sun Belt Conference tournament as well. So that's mm-hmm. that's probably one thing there in terms of just at least trying to get the the breakdown on all of that. Yep. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, we have our Longhorn Notebook. We'll take a break. Longhorn Notebooks coming up. We have Inconceivable. So uh, that's going to be uh, fun as well. Uh, I do have something that involves a bear. So I know nice. I thought about you on that. Uh, we have something bear. Uh, bears doing human things. You always enjoy that. You enjoy that, I think, as much as you do toilet humor. On this. Maybe more. Yeah, is bears yeah. doing human things. Well, I've got that for you. Uh, as we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Like the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Glad to have you with us here on this Tuesday. Craig Way and Jeff Howe with you. They sat together in the park as the evening sky grew dark. She looked at him and he felt a I mean, other than it being Bob Dylan. I don't, why am I not familiar with this one? Which one is this? Simple Twist of Fate. Okay. It's been a long time since I've ever had it. Oh, I have heard this, but it's been a while. I figured for all the heartbroken Celtics and Stars fans <laughs> like myself. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point there, yeah. Uh, yeah, it didn't go well for that. And the Celtics... You felt like the, here they were, poised, positioned, ready to make history and all that, and 34 seconds into the game, it all changed. Michael yep. Jordan's illegitimate son would not let that happen on his uh, watch. Yeah, you're right, and he didn't. And uh, Neither would Jason Tatum's ankle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Both conspired. Very, very true. Uh, all right, it's time now for our Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Thank goodness we've got football, like relevant topical football to talk, other than SEC spring meetings. Which that, those get started today. Yeah, You can get over to Horns 24-7. We've got it in uh, Brenda Marcello, one of our national writers, has an interview with Greg Sankey from yesterday. He was available and made some comments. Shocker, the conference commissioner prefers a nine-game schedule. So that's one of the big things that is going to get talked about this week. Texas, not a shocker. Most of the uh, schools do not. All right. Texas has representation there. Chris Del Conte and Jay Hartzell are both in Destin. But Texas does not have a vote in anything right now. They won't until after, what is it, I think July 1st next year when Texas officially becomes a member of the conference. Right. So got to wait a little bit on that. But uh, nevertheless, Texas has representation. But aside from SEC stuff... Relevant to the 2023 Longhorns, Steve Sarkeesian's made three hires as special assistants to the head coach. 
Uh, it started with uh, Payam Sudat, the former defensive coordinator, longtime FC, FBS Division One defensive coordinator, well, a, a Division One defensive coordinator, was most recently uh, at FCS Portland State. He's been at Army, a couple other spots. Uh, he's going to lend his expertise on the defensive side of the ball. Jody Camillus, who was actually a, one of the featured speakers at the Coaches Clinic last year, so the 2022 Spring Coaches Clinic, uh, when Sean McVay was on campus, Jody Camillus, who at the time, Craig, was the special teams coordinator, as you know, for your yep. Los Angeles Rams. Mm-hmm. He's now going to come help Jeff Banks. And, and then he's I, with the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And then I think the one that everybody's excited about, myself included, I can go back in the Wayback Machine, Craig, and it's crazy how you can think about now. <laughs> we can go back in the Wayback Machine for this. Go back to the end of the 2010 football season, and in that offseason, between the end of the season, that lost A&M on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and the start of the spring semester, and the search for an offensive coordinator, and oh, how the rumor mill was a churning at that point. Swirling. Because at one point, it was said that Mac Brown's first choice, because remember, Texas was looking for an offensive line coach, too, because Mac McCorder retired. It was said that Mac Brown, the choice that he wanted to make, because remember, Texas wanted to get a downhill rushing attack to right. run the football. He wanted Paul Christ, who was at that point the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and wanted him to bring Bob Bostad, who was the offensive line coach at Wisconsin at the time. Now, needless to say, obviously, that didn't work out. But more than a decade later, Paul Christ is coming to the 40 Acres as a special assistant to the head coach. And... I think when you look at all three of these hires, and I know Texas fans, and, and I don't fault you because they said, oh, man, Chris had great running games at Wisconsin, which he did. He coached a two-time Doak Walker Award winner and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, oh, man, he's had he's put together as, a, as an OC and a head coach. He's put together really good offensive lines, which he has. He's produced four first-round NFL draft picks, two Outland Trophy winners. Joe Thomas is going to be in the Hall of Fame at some point. So Paul Chris has had really good success with mm-hmm. offensive linemen. But to me, I think the big thing that I take, especially with the Paul Christ hire, but really with all three of these hires, it kind of addresses, not kind of, it does address my overarching question, kind of theme of this offseason, which is can this staff, look, we, we've seen them recruit. We've seen them develop talent. We've seen them put in a good culture. We've seen them do a lot of really good things to lay a good, solid foundation for this program as it gets ready to leave the Big 12 and head into the SEC. But the one thing I, I, I the, the jury is still out on this staff is collectively, and I know I've said it about Sark, but it's a collective deal here, can they give you the kind of schematic advantage that you're going to need to be able to pull through in the number of tight games that you're going to play throughout the season? Now, we saw them do that last year, right? We saw them. They were able to, to put away Iowa State. Now, we saw them win uh, probably what – probably could go down as their best win of the year last year, beating K-State on the road and closing that game out. And we saw them close out the Baylor game. Here's the catch with that, though. You didn't really close out that game with schematics. You just had the advantage of, hey, we got maybe the best football player in the country in our backfield. Let's just hand him the football. And and our offensive line could win the line of scrimmage against them. That's what they had to be thinking at the time. Yeah, and Bijan carried you, and you were able, whether it was Jalen Ford or DeMarvin Overshone, you were able to get, Kind of those one or two plays that you weren't able to get the year before on defense when you were trying to close the game Huge out. You were able to get them. by Jalen. Yeah, for a strip, a strip, or a, just a stop, whatever it was, you were able to get those plays. 
But especially on offense, you can't you don't have that luxury anymore of just being able to turn around and hand the ball to Bijan. You gotta have there's gotta be a little more X's and O's involved. It's gotta be a little more of a schematic advantage involved. And I think Paul Chris does that for Sark on a couple of different fronts. Uh, I think with his knowledge, his expertise uh, in being able to create a consistently good run game, knowing how to scheme it up. But I think, too, I think as much as Gary Patterson helped Pete Kwiatkowski uh, really getting getting PK's head wrapped around that pattern match cover for the Gary Patterson mm-hmm. plays, helping install that, they didn't do a very good job of it in 21. And, and PK said Gary was a big help just understanding how that coverage works, the principles of it, and really helping them get it installed, get the foundation laid. As important as he was for that, he was equally as important for Sark in just being a sounding board because GP had been a head mm-hmm. coach for a long time, and there were things that Sark couldn't ask other guys on the staff that he could ask Gary, and Gary would have a good answer for him. Mm-hmm. I think having that with Paul Christ, a guy that's been a Power 5 head coach and a successful Power 5 head coach. I mean, you look at Paul Christ's tenure at Wisconsin, Craig, 67 wins, four double-digit win seasons. They won three, he won three Big Ten West titles, uh, went to – Three uh, New Year's Six Bowls, one two of them, one back-to-back New Year's Six Bowls, one an Orange Bowl and a Cotton Bowl, or the other way around, a Cotton Bowl and an Orange Bowl. Uh, But the other thing that I think Paul Christ can help Sark with is kind of seeing the forest through the trees because Paul Christ has been a head coach who called his own plays and then gave up play calling. Mm -hmm. And I think when you kind of saw Wisconsin go through their downward trend, like a lot of dynasties where it goes wrong, you make a bad decision going all in on a quarterback, and they did it with Graham Mertz, and it didn't work out, and they never really got it back on track like they had before that whole deal started. But I think Paul Chris can tell Sark one of those deals like, look, people, you know, because I'm sure Sark's heard it where, hey, maybe you need to give up play calling. Maybe you need to be more focused on being the head coach. I think Paul Chris can tell him, look, I gave up play calling, and here's why I didn't like doing it. And if I had to do it over again, I would have kept it, or maybe I would have given it up. But whatever the case is, Sark now has a Power 5 head coach in the office who has called his own plays and can give him the pros and cons of it and help him manage the game, which whether it's clock management or situational football, we've seen at times where, and it's not necessarily Sark's fault, I just think it's that adjustment of, as the offense, when you're the play caller, I think at times you can get too tunnel-visioned and not being able to play complementary football. That's why I love the cut when I went to Houston for the touchdown club, uh, the not the touchdown club, but the uh, Texas fight event, yeah. and Sark talking. About, I asked Sark about him growing in that role of being the head coach and the play caller, and he talked about the growth of just working with with PK and being able to play complementary football. That to me tells you, okay, Sark now is more comfortable hearing. Uh, he's gradually getting com- more comfortable hearing other voices in his headset on game day and understanding. Yes, you are the play caller, but there's two other phases that are really critical to winning football games, and you've got to call plays and you've got to understand situational football based on what might be best for those other two phases. So I think as Sark grows in terms of dealing with the communication from the staff as a whole, I think, again, having a guy that's been a Power 5 head coach that's called his own plays, I think that's that's an invaluable part of bringing Paul Christ on board. Excellent point. Very, very good point. It'd be interesting to see how that dy- dynamic works going forward. Hey, Texas finally got Paul Chris, Craig. <laughs> they finally got Paul Chris. 13 Chris. years later. There you go. And it, it's interesting. I, a couple people on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7 have mentioned uh, that they worked with Paul Chris when he was with the San Antonio Riders of the oh, long-defunct World League of Football. And they're like, hey, hard-working dude, you know, good dude. And I actually hung out with Paul Christ. One time. Did you? When I was on the road covering recruiting, I was at Arlington Martin, and you know Bob Wager welcomed anybody into his sure. office. 
And I go in there, and he was expecting me. I had an appointment or whatever, and I go in, and Paul Christ is there. And uh, you know, he's like, oh, I was just about to leave. And you know, uh, Coach oh. Wager was like, hey, why don't you come in and finish watching this film? Paul Christ was recruiting Russell Bellamy at the oh, time. Yeah. So I sat down for about five, ten minutes and just kind of watched. It was less of me talking and me more observing, all right, What's Paul Chris looking for when he's evaluating a quarterback? How's he watching film? What's he looking for? So it's a nice little crash course Absolutely. In, in quarterback evaluations. So, yeah, good dude, Paul Chris, in the five to ten minutes mm. that I interacted with him. Very good. All right. Uh, coming up next, we'll have Inconceivable, including an, a bear doing human things, which I know will please I'm on Jeff. pins and needles. Yeah, that's next when we continue to light the tower on the horn. 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Way and Jeff Howe light the tower. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, it means a great many things. Uh, and, and part of this is uh, to do with uh, food and part with animals, and some is a combination of both. But let me start in the world of outer space. You remember, Cam, um, uh, it, was, it was a couple of weeks ago when we were doing this story about the private company that was attempting to land a spacecraft on the moon Mm -hmm. from Japan, right? And we knew it was coming up. It was going to be this historic moon landing attempt. Um, And then we didn't hear anything about it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, tempted to be the case. It ended up happening that way. The lunar lander, as it turns out, plummeted three miles before it smashed into the lunar surface. Uh, the Japanese company iSpace revealed this over the weekend. Uh, iSpace? iSpace. 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 Well, no wonder why it crashed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so this Japanese private firm had had funded this, although they didn't fund it entirely. The, the lander was launched atop a SpaceX rocket from Cape Canaveral back in December. It took three months to get to the moon. And uh, then it was carrying one of those lunar rovers, uh, the first Arab-built lunar spacecraft, which was developed by a company in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. So so it was a combined effort. Uh, And it was a combined failure uh, due to a software issue and an incorrect measurement of the spacecraft's altitude as it attempted to find its way down. Yeah, he said based on the review of the flight data, it was observed that the lander was navigating to the planned landing site. The altitude measured by the onboard sensors rose sharply when it passed over a large cliff, approximately three kilometers, 1.9 miles in elevation on the lunar surface. And it was determined to be the rim of a crater. They said, hey, that's good. Drop it here. Boom. <laughs> Three miles. Smashed to flinders. Millions of dollars just absolutely wasted. Yeah. And they and uh, they, the way they found out was it had disappeared. And then they stole some pieces of it. <laughs> Flying around <laughs> space. So, yeah, that, that didn't go well. Is, so. is that ours floating over Mars right now? Yeah, yeah. It is. Hey, Cam, I haven't asked you this, but you know like the Blue Origin or SpaceX flights that'll take you up like into orbit like 
on the cusp and then drop you back down like those 11-minute flights? Would you get on no one of those? No chance. No chance. Like, hey, Cam, why don't you go uh, get on this rocket and then be back for lunch? I'm, <laughs> be, I'm first in line. Right I'm first in line. <laughs> oh, no, you are. Yeah, oh, no question. I'll be all about There's it. No there. way. Oh, if I didn't have to pay the, what is it, something like $785,000 Craig, Craig will show up in a, in a Captain Kirk suit, and like, you'll be just juice. I'm on board. Juice I, to the gills. Launch me into space. I would pass out like five seconds in the flight. You were, <laughs> you were a roller coaster guy? No, you? I hate roller coasters. See, uh, Craig and I had this, we, before you joined the show, we had this conversation. I just think, I think like your equilibrium and your body just gets to a point where even if you're a roller coaster fan, your body just gets to a point where it's like, dude, it, it's over. Yeah. It, it's, it might. You're done. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, okay, got a couple and of... I think I've hit that point in life, which is where I was going with that. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of food items. One, a woman from Albany, New York, is suing Walmart for getting the wrong pie. Uh, so How's that Walmart's fault? Actually, it's not Walmart. It's it's a it's a supermarket retailer known as Shoprite up there. I've been to a Shoprite up there. It's like going to, you know, whatever H E B or it's like or a Publix. Randall's. Yeah, Shoprite. She because she received the wrong pie flavor in the box that was apparently mislabeled. So um, it was supposedly for her daughter. And it made her ill after she ate it. Uh, she thought she was getting an apple pie from Shoprite. Instead, received a cherry pie by mistake. When do you think you'd be able to tell a difference? Well, well, just look in the box. Yeah. Just be sure. Yeah. So it was, and and so one of the attorneys said mislabeling food products can be dangerous and subjects the seller to liability if it results in injury to the consumer. A common injury resulting from consuming mislabeled food products is allergic reaction or illness. And then he went on to say, yeah, the damages here are light, though. That has some value for pain and suffering, but it's not going to be worth that much to a jury or judge. However, the claim by the mother for a feeling of betrayal, that that claim seems bogus. And she'll likely receive little to no compensation on that part of it there. You know how many times I've gotten Montezuma's revenge from a restaurant or a drive through and I haven't thought to sue anybody. It's just <laughs> any anytime you eat out or you go buy food from somewhere, man, you're just playing Russian roulette with your it, it digestive happens. system. Man. Toward that end, I'm glad you brought that up. So here I'm getting ready to go to Miami. I'm going to go to Miami. You know what I'm going to have. You taking the Speedo with you or what? No. No, no Speedo. Right. Nope. Nope. Not going to do that. But I am going to have some seafood, obviously. Go. Got to have some seafood, Probably got right? good seafood down there in yeah. South Florida. Uh, the hottest seafood item, not in South Beach but in Taipei, is a 14-legged crustacean. And it's called an isopod. And they say it's kind of a cross between a crab and, uh, uh, I guess, a lobster and uh, crabs and prawns, giant isopods, uh, are the largest among the thousands of species That's what they taste like? in the crustacean group. Prawns, uh, prawns and crabs doesn't sound bad, right? No. They mix it. They mix it in a big old bowl of ramen. So that's it's just it, it, yeah. That's can I tell you? Did I tell you how Craig threatened me for not getting fried something fried when we went to the North Carolina coast last Good. summer? Good, good on you, Craig. <laughs> I was like, I'll just eat it, uh, you know, broiled or baked or whatever. Craig goes, you gotta get something fried. Get something fried. I'm like, get I, the fried, I have the fried get, shrimp. 
get get a, get a captain's platter. You know, one of those. There you go. Got to you got to get a captain's <laughs> platter. That's a good choice. With a little bit of all of that that kind of stuff. Uh, that's where he was introduced to she crab soup. By the way. Gosh, love it. Yeah. Bathe in that stuff. Uh, so so they had that. Okay. Uh, now here's the story Jess has been waiting for. Bakery in New England was supposed to open last Wednesday. Couldn't do it. Taste by Spellbound in Avon, Connecticut, uh, was loading things up. Sounds highfalutin. Yeah. One of the workers at Taste by Spellbound was in the loading garage in the back of the shop when she looked up and saw a bear staring at her. big old bear. Black bear just staring at her. So the bakery owner, Miriam Stevens, said she heard employee Maureen Williams screaming bloody murder and then yelling, there's a bear in the garage. So she ran into the kitchen. Another woman called 911. And the bakery wrote, Lisa then had the brilliant idea to go out the front door and get in her car to drive around back and start honking a horn like a crazy person. (laughs) She finally got him out. Maureen ran to the garage to close as fast as she could. So they finally got it out. But it was too late as the bear ate approximately 60 cupcakes and a whole bunch of coconut cake. (laughs) He was hungry. So you've heard of cocaine bear. You've got coconut bear here. So they're like, well, I found the the bounty. I found this harvest of sweets. Uh, Surveillance video obtained by a local television station shows bakery workers walking around the side of the business trying to scare the bear. And then the bear turns and kind of roars out. So then they run. No, off. I like to pretend the bear's like holding a cake in his hand, and then like just turns like with with food all over his face. Get like, away! You want some? I'll share. It. <laughs> uh, many Facebook users were impressed with the bear's taste. Lynn Smith wrote, "Quote: All I can say is, even the bears know where to go for the best treats." Bears know. Like Cam, remember that story we read where the bear like ate, drank all that soda, yeah. but then he like tasted the diet soda, and then he's like, "Nope, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Not dealing I'm, with this. Not drinking this crap." Sixty cupcakes and a big coconut cake. So the bear and you need to that. contact whoever took over for Wilford Brimley get some diabetes supplies. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, coming up, uh, some other, uh, some more thoughts, and and, and this really kind of almost belongs in inconceivable. But we won't put it to that. There's a couple other sports-related items, one of which, by the way, involves a member of our own stable here at, in the building. We'll get to that. And uh, some college baseball notes as well. So that's still to come. We'll hear from Eric Kennedy, Longhorns outfielder as well. All that coming up in this second hour of Light the Tower. So hang with us. We're with you here today. We're not quite sure about tomorrow yet. We know Jeff's out tomorrow. He has a doctor's appointment. Uh, we'll see about my situation there, depending on the travel plans. But uh, love the program there. But we still have more to come in this program. So stay with us here on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, we're local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. 